Kia ora koutou. Um, welcome back to SOAP, the Scholarly Open Access Podcast. Uh, we've had a bit of a hiatus uh, since our last uh, podcast sometime last year, late last year, on green open access, and we promised you gold open access, and here we are back with it. Uh, <laughs> Like all the best kind of social media, do-it-yourself things, blogs and so on, uh, a long hiatus is part of part of the experience, so we feel we've just made it a bit more real for you. Anyway, I'm Bruce White, and with me is... Uh, kia ora, Amanda Kuno, the um, Digital a- Asset Management Librarian at Mass University. Kia ora, Catherine Wober. I was in the subject librarian team last year, but now I'm with the collection services team as metadata librarian responsible for cataloguing and uploading theses to our repository. Massive research online. Okay. All the commercials finished. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm open access and copyright advisor. So there you are. Okay, we've had a word from our sponsors. Um, so uh, now we're on to Gold Open Access. Uh, uh, we kept telling you we would get to this. Um, gold, of course, is all to do with money. Um, and so when we looked at green open access, we looked at things uh, where uh, the an article published in a, in a scholarly journal um, could be placed in a repository online without money changing hands, mm. apart from paying Amanda and so on for the work <laughs> for the work that needs to be done. Um, gold open access, though, is a different model, uh, and uh, there are there are various ways in which you can express this. Uh, but essentially, what happens is that uh, an author submitting um, or group of authors submitting work to a journal uh, will then pay a publishing fee, uh, sometimes known as an author fee, uh, sometimes known as an article processing charge, uh, depending on the neutrality of your language. If you want to be a bit snarky about it, you can call it pay to publish. Uh, but all of those things suggest money. Now, there are two two types of gold open access then uh, we have pure gold which are journals which are essentially just free uh, people pay to publish authors pay to publish in them uh, but nobody pays to, uh, to to read any of the content in that journal so then there's what's called hybrid and that is where you have subscription journal that normally you would need to uh, belong to uh, an institution that had a subscription to that journal in order to read its content, uh, but the authors can pay a fee to have their their article made accessible to everyone. Uh, and this is um, this is a, a pretty common model. We're going to look at the history in a minute, see how this came about. Um, okay, right. Um, are we still As recording? Say, the informality of the informality. <laughs> yeah, we're still recording. We're definitely going to cut that out. Um, so, back at the ranch. Um, right. So okay. We just we just took a phone call there. Um, right now, right back to it. So, with the history, Bruce, we're going to kind of cover off a few. We're going to hit a few points, yeah. aren't we? So, yeah. we're going to look at things like the um, the benefits for gold for all our yeah. users and for publishers and scholars. Yeah. I'm going to maybe look at some disadvantages, aren't we? Yep. Of the of the of the business model. Um, look at the costs. How much it actually costs. Um, yep. And then we're also going to look at possibly some important events and reports. 
and we'll cover this all off yeah, roughly yeah. with the and the yeah. history. Yeah, we'll, we'll go we'll go up to about 2012, 2013 and, and right. just see what's not that not that changed finished at that point, but uh, you know that's that's actually quite a neat point to yes. to cover off. Um, okay. So um, following our historic approach, the we've talked in the past about the big boom in electronic publishing beginning in the 1990s. Um, one of the things that happened quite early on is people realised, hey, if you've got a website, or we're actually looking before the web, 1990, if you've got space on the internet, you can place documents on it, and those documents can be placed in such a way that they could be seen as being a journal. Right. You know, They contain words, and those words may have been uh, words and pictures, those words and pictures may have been peer-reviewed and so on, and you could call those a journal. And uh, I'm, I'm cribbing here from um, Peter Suber's excellent timeline of open access publishing, uh, which, which only runs up to about 2008, but, you know, it's very well documented up to then, so I recommend that to you. Um, but the, the starting in 1990 using the word starting in a loose sense, we had the Electronic Journal of Communication, which was a free online peer-reviewed journal. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, it's still going. Okay. Um, it's it's um, never set the world on fire. Yeah. I hope, hope you're not listening, guys. It's a great <laughs> journal. Um, but it, but it, it continues on. Um, uh, same year, postmodern culture. So these were all in sort of cutting-edge social sciences, humanities areas, which is interesting seeing what what happened next. Other journals around the same time, haven't listed all of them, the Electronic Journal of Analytic Philosophy. So these were self-hosted by... These the, were kind of, yeah, yeah, right, yeah okay. they, they were little organisations or, or, you know, through the 90s there were even, you know, kind of uh, people at a loose end on a Friday afternoon like us, <laughs> you know, thinking... Actually, wouldn't it be easy to run a journal? So, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but uh, so there were a lot of these things. Electronic Journal of Sociology. So you've got Electronic Journal of this, that and the other. Um, internet journals oh, okay. and so on. So and, they actually referred to the, the, yeah. the format in their yeah. title. Well, it was, a, it was a big deal, you yeah. see. I mean, you know, electronic and internet were exciting words yeah. uh, back in those days. And, yeah. and they, they, yeah, and they, they fully expressed... Um, what the things were. Um, um, in 1998, there was a movement on from this, and I really, I must admit, I've, I've only done the homework on this today, but with Biomed Central, the, the open access journal really became quite a strong thing. And uh, it was started by a guy, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, Vitek Trach, um, T-R- ACZ. Um, I'm not exactly sure um, how that's pronounced, but he was from Eastern Europe and then and then um, moved to Israel. And he had been involved in publishing uh, for quite some time. Uh, he'd he'd uh, Gower Publishing was one of his, uh, but he was a guy who got bored fairly easily, so would would start things up and and then move on. And so in 1998, he started Biomed Central. Uh, he'd been influenced by PubMed Central, which was the big um, National Institute of Health repository. And I'm going to read you his statement. Um, he gave an interview in 2006 or did a Q&A. 
Um, so I will quote from him at length. When we started Biomed Central, we didn't know what the business model would be. We believed the data should would have to be free, but it also became clear that authors couldn't place their papers in the public domain without some processes that cost money. What was also clear was that authors are more interested in publishing than readers are in reading. <laughs> Frank and to the point. We also knew that authors have always been prepared to pay for having their papers published by paying page charges and paying for colour pictures, etc. So we said, OK, we will turn the current model upside down and offer the research articles free to readers and charge for services to authors. We will take their papers, mark them up, find referees to review them, and generally act as an intermediary. Of course, the charges are not really to authors personally, but rather to the funders of the research or the institutions where the authors work. We soon realised that such a business model could be very effective. And that's quite a neat statement of what the business model is, and he was very keen on it. Um, you know, personally, I'm a little less keen on it, you know, being a, a sometime More author who's never been funded by an institution. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not, a great, not a great model for me, but that was a clear statement of where they were. Um, in 2001, the people who started Public Library of Science, PLOS, um, put out an open letter um, this was, and I forget the names, I'm sorry, but it was a Nobel laureate, um, somebody, a Nobel Prize winner and a couple of other people. And their statement is, is this. We recognise that publishers of our scientific journals have a legitimate right to a fair financial return for their role in scientific communication. We believe, however, that the permanent archival record of scientific research and ideas should neither be owned nor controlled by publishers, but should belong to the public and should be freely available through an, through an international online public library. So that's what he had to say. And both of, both of those statements are quite kind of open about money, that mm -hmm. things do cost money to do. Yeah. Um, but they are also see that the, the, the importance of getting stuff out to the public. Yeah, because right back on the very first mm -hmm. podcast, we talked about how publishers do provide valuable yeah. services, particularly yeah. for scientific yeah. papers, where yeah. there might be graphs or, yes. you know, and they would yeah. judge things up. Yeah. So. Absolutely, and you know it does. It does cost money to um, uh, to arrange, you know, peer review and all these things. I mean, going right back to our first podcast, though, they also found there was a good way to make money. <laughs> so it often cost a little bit less than it was charged for. But anyway, in two thousand and two, so Biomed Central kicked off. They put out a whole lot of BMC journals, so BMC Public Health, and you know, yes. BMC pathology and all of these things began appearing. In 2002, they began charging processing fees to cover the costs of online access. So that's the start of, you know, they called it a processing charge, which is a funny word because it sounds as if it just means technical stuff, but it actually means organising peer review and all of those edit editorial things. So... Um, I guess they went for a nice innocuous name, but it doesn't particularly well describe what they do. They also launched an open access charter. And this is really important, assuring open access to its journal contents for the long term, even after any future changes of ownership. 
And that's that's actually really important because one of one of the one of the responsibilities that journals take on yeah. is that hey, we're not just going to publish this this year. If we are to be taken seriously, this is now part of the scientific record. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that was that was an important move, and also in that year, Public Library of Science received a nine million dollar grant from something I think it was the Moore Foundation um, and announced its first two open access journals. 2003, in the UK, Joint Information Systems Committee, JISC, purchased institutional membership in BMC for all UK universities. The United Kingdom is really quite remarkable in that uh, they have a, a really strong tradition of supporting open access um, with money and of quite centralised support of research. So, you know, the Research Council yes. UK yeah. and this um, Joint Information Systems Committee uh, have, have really provided a lot of central support and that kind of funding mm. meant that um, there was already then a tradition of of authors in that area not having to, you know, having their, their article processing charges covered for, for publishing in BMC. BMC, of course, was a, only a, a, um, quite a, a, a relatively narrow range of journals. Um, like Biomed Central, so often, often, you know, there is more money in health yeah, than yeah. in other areas. So <laughs> generally more money in the sciences um, than in other areas and more money... Um, particularly, we, we're all afraid of dying, you know, so um, uh, um, so there's, you know, financial support and the amount, I guess what I'm saying, uh, trying to be less flippant, um, is that the total amount of money that's spent on health and health research then publishing is a relatively small part of it. This kind of gets, you know, those sorts of sums um, get kind of lost. Same year, um, PLOS Biology, Public Library of Science Biology was launched. Um, about this time, uh, the BMC journals uh, began showing up um, in the impact factors too. That, that Originally, I think people had been a bit dismissive, you know, that these things won't take off, but some of them came came to the top of their field fairly quickly okay. um, because, you know, um, major authors were, were willing to publish in them. Yes. So 2003, we're going to introduce the, the hybrid idea. The Company of Biologists announced a one-year experimental hybrid open access model for its three journals, and that's that's the first mention of it in Suba's timeline. Mm-hmm. So what that meant is they were publishing journals, and I don't know the names of the journals, I'm sorry, they were publishing subscription model journals, but they turned around to authors and said, hey, if you want to cough up a bit, yes, transfer some funds, um, we will make make your article open access to the whole world. 2004, Public Library of Science went to PLOS Medicine. Um, The American Institute of Physics adopted a hybrid journal project. Springer launched its open choice hybrid journal program. 2005, Blackwell Publishing started its hybrid program. Oxford University Press 
2006 Elsevier, sponsored article, hybrid journal model. Same year, Wiley, BMJ, that's British Medical Journal, um, Taylor and Francis, Royal Society of Chemistry. So everybody came on board with this hybrid model fairly quickly. Right. Uh, for, <laughs> do you want to say something about double dipping at this point? Well, just, no, yeah. but yeah, because yeah. like you said, it's all yeah. about the money. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, why wouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, if you if you if you if you're getting money from subscriptions, um, but can also get the authors to pay for something that really is not costing you anything. Um, that's you know, sorry if I sound like a like like a cynic, but that's not a, again like a lot of this stuff with academic publishing, not a bad business to be in. Mm. Um, if you can sell the thing, um, not not only sell the product to your consumers, um, but also get some money off the producers as well. You know, mm. that truly is being a middleman. You're yes. getting money from both ends. So where would predatory publishers fit in? Like starting okay. up a journal Righto. to make that money? We're about to get that. We're, We're at 2006. Oh, We're in 2007. Right. 2007. So, but, but really, really good. That's a really good point. Um, I'd better stop leaning back. Nobody will be able to hear me. Um, but the, essentially the model worked this way, that they made money from selling subscriptions to libraries who needed those journals. Then they got some money for to make articles open access. Now, no library was going to go and say, oh, well, you know, one in ten of these articles is open access, so um, we, we, yeah. we'll cancel. Uh, so they were really at no financial risk, yeah. and it didn't cost them anything to deliver the articles out to the members of the public and members of non-subscribing institutions and so on. So it was a really good deal. Okay, 2007. I'm just going to flip the order of these a bit uh, because the interesting one, um, Amanda just um, mentioned the PP term, um, Bentham Science. Bentham Science were a relatively small publishing company and they announced that they planned to launch 300 open access journals before the end of that year, um, which is a fairly ambitious program given that journals need um, editorial boards, editors, editorial boards and reviewers. So launched 300 new... They plan, They announced their plan to. That's, yeah. that's what it says. Yeah. Um, and what actually happened, and I can remember this, is that they then... Um, they then got onto the email and frantically began emailing people saying, would you like to be, um, and all these things were called the open journal. So people would um, uh, get, a, get, a, get an email saying, would you like to be editor of the open journal of marine biology? Wow. Um, and and I'm not quite sure why I've got this. You know, I'm a, I'm a veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and it caused... Um, widespread puzzlement and and really what they were putting out was spam but yeah. but then um, they clearly got some takers I don't know whether they actually got their 300 journals out there but for a few years after that there were a lot of things called you know the open journal of marine biology the open journal of this that or the other um, they were not very high quality um, uh, they charged I think possibly a couple of hundred dollars uh, to have 
um, to have an article um, published. Um, their standards of peer review were not great. And they targeted, um, this is another thing I was aware of at the time, they targeted um, grad students um, as a chance to get published and 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 kind of pushed the idealistic thing, hey, we're open access, this will make you famous, and it doesn't cost a hell of a lot. Yeah. Um, and they did this. So this is, I'm not saying that was the start of, of what we call what has come to be called predatory publishing, but it really marked one of the dangers. I, I, I don't want to emphasise predatory publishing too much in this, but, you know, it, it's something which some people don't like talking about. Mm-hmm. Like none of this is on, well, that's on Peter Suber's timeline, but he doesn't mention the downside of it okay. um, or that it might have been not such a great idea to launch 300 journals in a year. <laughs> um, uh, so... I can remember probably by about 2009 saying to students, if you get emails from these guys, please ignore them. This is, you know, um, you've spent a lot of time writing this article. Don't put it somewhere where it's never going to be read and 